going to do the honors for us. Brother. Thank you, Scott. Then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? For what shall a man give in return for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will repay each person according to what he has done. Truly, I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Well, I told the pastor that I would uh, try to link two sermons together. And so this one that we're looking at today is uh, one that uh, is going to deal with, um, I can find it on my screen here. There we are. Uh, This one that we're looking at today is the cross before the cross. Before we begin, let's uh, come to the Lord in prayer again. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for your scriptures, which are right and true and without error. And as you have spoken the words of life to us now, we ask that you would intend upon each one of us here today and online your Holy Spirit, that you would guide us and direct us in our thinking, in our hearing, in our listening of what you have in store for us today, that we might Obey it and be forever changed. For we pray these things in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Well, I, I want to focus this morning on just a small part of the passage that we actually read this morning. Um, that being the phrase, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. So the rest of it's the setting behind that. And uh, I remember as a boy hearing these words and visualizing myself wandering around the streets carrying a big wooden cross. Maybe you've done that as well. We have seen scenes of predominantly Catholic regions and churches where there are public parades of people carrying crosses and the honor that's bestowed on that particular individual who carries it. And yet, not everyone ever gets the opportunity to do something like that. It begs the question of how shall each of us then take up our cross? Surely the disciples who were listening to Jesus on this passage would have quizzically looked at each other, wondering at the meaning of such words by Jesus. In fact, in the conversation that was to take place immediately following, would have put a rather bit of a damper on the whole evening. How could the disciples possibly know what Jesus was talking about since the events of Jesus' death and the resurrection hadn't even happened yet. 
Was this just another one of Jesus' codes? Stuff that would be decoded only after his death to be understood? If we look more carefully at this passage, we can gain an insight into the framework of thinking that would have been the disciples. So the main idea that we're looking at this today is that it was important to Jesus that his followers understand that there were prerequisites to the cross that he was going to bear. There was and is a cross before the cross that is many times tougher to endure and undergo. So let's deal with the first cross. Because you see, going after Jesus is a tough gig. Following Jesus is hard. Look at verse 24. Because there you see Jesus issues this strange challenge of fidelity and loyalty. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Follow him where? And to what? In the previous scene, Jesus has just asked the disciples who the people thought he was. With Peter giving the correct answer. And it is at this point that Jesus lays down some rather ugly plans of events that are immediately follow on. So we read in Matthew 16 verses uh, 20 and 21. Then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed on the third day and be raised. Now, Peter has a cow over this and goes into denial, earning him a rebuke from Jesus in verse 23. So in in short, Jesus was saying that he was going to die to himself and allow the Messiah to be innocently charged and then killed on a cross. For him, it would be a second cross. On the first cross, Jesus had to give himself over and be obedient unto death as he followed his father's will. So we see in Philippians chapter 2, verse 8, And being found in human form, he humbled himself, becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. He had to die to himself and struggle to overcome his personal desires. Luke chapter 22, verses 41 to 44 says, And he withdrew from them about a stone's throne. He knelt down and he prayed, saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And there appeared to him an angel from heaven, strengthening him. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. And his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. Now, all of the disciples 
wanted to follow Jesus, and they were all pretty eager, I think, from Scripture. And Peter and all the boys wanted to be in it till the end with Jesus. Except for what we read in Matthew 26, verses 31 to 35. And then Jesus said to them, You will all fall away because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter answered him, Well, they will all fall away because... Though they all fall away because of you, I will never fall away. Jesus said to him, truly, I tell you, this very night before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And Peter said to him, even if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And all the disciples said the same. Well, We do know from Scripture that many of the disciples did die tragic deaths in service to Jesus later on. But that journey was made much more difficult with this little conversation of a personal first cross. You can just hear them saying, well, what do you want me to do? In the second half of verse 24. Jesus mentioned Jesus' mention of the, of the disciples and all the followers of himself to pick up their cross and to follow him would have caused no little concern among the listeners. Everybody in the region would have been familiar with the rather graphic and cruel way the Roman Empire dealt with anyone who remotely got in the way. Crucifixion had a long and nasty history of people uh, being put up on crosses in a variety of ways that was certain to provoke public ridicule, scorn, and embarrassment. Not to mention the pain, the agony, and the suffering, all of which was part of the victim. The end goal of such a sentence was your awful, horrible, no good, very bad day of death. What was common as a feature in almost all of those condemned to die in this way was the forced carrying of the cross as a whole, if not a a part of it anyway, if not the whole. Uh, It was a heavy crossbeam to a place where the deed was done. It is carrying such a load that a person becomes truly broken amidst the shame and the pain of it all, that they realize the inevitability of their death, the death of themselves. And to this, Jesus says that we have to carry the cross on which we must die to ourselves. On this cross is put to death the will and the ways of each individual Christian. On this cross is the death of you trying to run your own life your own way. 
or you saying that you know better than God on how to live your life. This is the first cross that you, if you are going to go after Jesus, must die on. See, there's, there's an irony here of Jesus in verses 25 to 26. For who would ever save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and profits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? With such an awful prospect of dying on a cross, particularly this first cross, comes the statement that, that if you try and protect your life from this important crucifixion, you will end up losing your life. The life you are so desperately trying to save. Conversely, it's the good news. That if you lose your life for the sake of Jesus, you will actually find it. Strange as it may sound to the worldly ears, you have actually to live to die and die to live. This wasn't the first time that the disciples had heard such things. Matthew chapter 10, verses 37 to 39 says, Whoever loves father and mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son and daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. It's not like they hadn't heard this before. If this sounds a little confusing to you, it is explained by Jesus with two rhetorical questions in the next verse. What good will it be for a man if he gains the whole world and yet forfeits his soul? Or what can a man give in exchange for his soul? implied here is that there is nothing comparable of comparable value to the human soul created by God. That's how valuable you are, image bearer of God. There is nothing on this planet that is worth your soul. In fact, it just is plain silly to even contemplate it. This topsy-turvy talk is not unfamiliar language, however, and we've been told that the first shall be last and the last shall be first. And, 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 and do you remember these from Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 to 11? We had sermons on them not long ago. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, the disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth, and he taught them, saying, Ready? Here we go. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. 
Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. And blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. This is weird stuff. It goes countercultural to everything our world knows and understands. But this is what Jesus has been talking about. Once we crucify the self at the first cross, we are then ready for that second cross. So let's deal with, deal with the second cross here and understand that what we're talking about first is killing God. The actual killing of the living Christ was the only thing that could bring about the death of death. Such a death as this was absolutely necessary. Our Father in heaven is a God of salvation. Determined to procure our salvation in a rather unique way that will not violate his own holy character of love and mercy over against that of his character of justice and holiness. With all mankind tainted with and condemned by sin in our lives, it was the only solution which there could be a substitute payment scheme for each one of those sins. Only somebody not already tainted with the sin of Adam could qualify. And so the Messiah, born of a virgin, to take your well-deserved place on the cross of Calvary. And scripture tells us, for while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. This knowledge, combined with the fact that you believe such information as this with all your heart and soul and strength, is that which by faith leads you then to eternal life with God forever. And believe it or not, this killing of God was the pinnacle of all of history. And its importance is not lost in our own ability then to be able to die on a cross. Well, you might ask, well, what are we dying for? What's worth dying for? We are told in verse 27 that when the Messiah returns to complete an utter victory with his angels behind him, it will be a time of reckoning. Everyone who has ever lived and died will face the judgment of this Messiah, and according, um, according to uh, God's eternal and divine love of his people, he will then bring rewards to those who have loved him and his law. Those who have given themselves up and the things of this world they've given those things up 
in favor of coming to Christ who have picked up and worn their cross will be rewarded in incredible ways. And I must say, of equal concern are the rewards for those who have not loved God and followed his laws. Rewards that will not be those that one looks forward to with any kind of eagerness. For them will be continuous suffering and torment eternally. Those, these are those who decided that the supposedly good life of this world was good enough to die for. And it would appear from Jesus' own words that your own soul is worth dying for. But there is something more here. For these disciples of Jesus were not just were not just rewards in heaven to consider when they faced their cross, but we are told in verse 28 that having seen and experienced their first personal cross of dying to oneself, they might see the actual beginning of the end. Before their personal second death. The coming mentioned in that verse relates to the entire complex of events involved in the Son of Man's receiving dominion, especially his transfiguration, resurrection, ascension, sending of the Holy Spirit, and judgment against Jerusalem. All of these events occurred while some of these disciples were still living. And now they would all be witnesses of rather incredible events that would unfold in the coming days that marked the beginning of the end of the world. So seeing these things was something that they could indeed die for. As history recounts their many martyrdoms, They've seen incredible things. You too have seen incredible things. Jesus has a, a way of putting these things rather bluntly to us. What we, what are you willing to die for is the question. Is there anything worth more than your soul in eternity for God? Now, lots of people are attracted to Jesus. They like the morality. They like the pithy sayings. They're attracted to a really nice bloke. But following Jesus is a whole nother matter. And there are many wannabe Christians in the world who are quite content to listen and take in the story of the cross of Christ but not do much about it. And they even wear little crosses around their neck but they are only really acknowledging the reality of the second cross while ignoring the call to follow Jesus to the first personal cross. Only when you undergo a personal crucifixion to yourself will you truly be able to undergo a second for the sake of Jesus. And then, and only then, will you be able to die well. And so, 
in a world that suffers, in a world that has problems and issues, there would be people among you who are in pain, who are depressed, who are angry at how things are. But God has another way. You see, Sunday's coming. Today's Friday. But Sunday's coming. I want, I want to leave you an encouraging truth about this victory that we have in Jesus this morning. Watch the screen.